You know, it's a good way to paper over a lack of goaltending depth is playing incredible defense and limiting the opposition's chances. I would say giving up 43 shots over two games to the Edmonton Oilers was doing your job. Getting another point for Michael Hutchison, who now has seven in seven games, which in an overall sense isn't good, but knowing what we know about Michael Hutchison, I would argue is quite good. Uh, and uh, next time Leafs and Oilers are going to have to meet, will come in the postseason, and I think the Leafs will have a pretty significant psychological edge. Let's talk to uh, Bruce Boudreau, former NHL player and coach, uh, kind enough to join us online right now. How's it going, Bruce? Thanks for doing this. Uh, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So is there something to that? Like as a, as a former head coach, was there ever a, a situation where you should have felt just as comfortable against a team? You looked at the lineups paper and put them next to each other and looked pretty similar, but when you got on the ice, there was just something about the matchup that, that didn't suit you. Well, I mean, you know, I've never been involved when you play a team nine times in a year, but right. you can it's, it's bigger than um, just a, a little sample size. I mean, you play nine times, um, and you can get a pretty good idea of where you're standing uh, when you're playing your best hockey against the against that team. And I think with the Leafs, I mean, they have to be confident. I mean, they've only lost one in regulation in uh, to Edmonton this year. And uh, if I'm Edmonton, I I got to think that hey, I got to find a different way to play against these guys because. What, even though they won in overtime yesterday, it's not working. Um, to me, it's not working. It's, uh, uh, they're, they're trying to play the same way that the Leafs are playing, but the Leafs have more talent on their team. So in, in the end, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see the Leafs winning. In yeah, my mind. It seems pretty apparent. Yeah, no, it, it seems pretty apparent. And we got a chance to speak with Darnell Nurse. He actually kind of indicated that they wanted to play a bit of a tougher game when we've spoken to Louis DeBrusque. He's given the same indication that he believes that they should be trying to make things a little bit more uncomfortable for Toronto. And and that really hasn't happened. They've they've established, as you said, their style of play, their will in all nine of these contests. So if you're Edmonton and you potentially match up with them in the first round, how difficult psychologically do you think it's going to be for them to all of a sudden switch this game plan? Because why wouldn't it have already happened over nine games? I don't know why it wouldn't have happened over nine games, but I mean, to me, Edmonton has to play Toronto like they play Calgary. And um, they have yeah. to look at, you know, I mean, Toronto's a non physical team. They don't want to. They don't want to hit. They don't want to be hit. They want to skate. They want a, a complete skilled game. And I mean, um, so you got to make it uncomfortable for them. And I and it may go against a little bit of the grain of what Edmonton does. But to me, if if they get the puck deep and they forecheck and they finish checks, it's going to make it tougher on the Leafs. But so far, I haven't seen it. I mean, I think they did it on the on the um, second goal last night. Or that they dump the puck in twice, they they knock the Leafs off the puck, they get it back to the point, they shoot the puck and it goes in the net. So I mean, I think I think that's the way they they have to play. And I mean, it's maybe not some of their comfort zone, but I think that's uh, they got to get the Leafs out of their comfort zone for sure if they want to win. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people thought there would be some sort of carryover from the Cassian hit on Tavares behind the net. Nothing happened there. Where, where is that? 
on your list of, of reasons to maybe be skeptical of this Leafs team come the postseason? Uh, because we know it's a very different game as far as scoring chances, but also in, in physicality. And we've said this like numerous times that teams have seemingly thought about ramping up the physicality during these regular season games, but it hasn't happened. I got to figure it's going to happen in the postseason. Where are you on your belief that the Maple Leafs can match that and get through that in the postseason? Well, I mean, you know, I love the Leafs, but I haven't seen it happen yet, so I don't know if you can just turn it on um, like that. I mean, it's uh, uh, to me, uh, I, I see the teams that if they want to win, uh, if they want to win it all, the teams that they have to go through, um, you know, the North Division might be a little bit different in the intensity. What I'm looking at than than say if you look at the East uh, or if you look at uh, when Colorado plays uh, Vegas. I mean, um, uh, like I'm watching last night's games and I see no scrums, maybe one little scrum or potential scrum between Nurse and Simmons at front of the net but you don't see the battles in front of the net, that this is all playoff hockey. And uh, um, so, uh, you know, you just, it's not like George Armstrong used to tell us all the time. It's not like a faucet. You just can't turn it on and turn it off when you want. So you got to get used to that kind of playing. And um, that's my biggest fear with, with Toronto is when it comes to playing these other teams, if they get out of the North, uh, that uh, this is what they're going to be having to look forward to playing like. Well, the good news is is that they have a set coming up against the Winnipeg Jets, who seemingly have pushed them into the games that look most like a playoff game. And they've still got Montreal at the end of the year, who's probably going to be looking to establish a little bit of momentum. So there's still time to have, I guess, some some bigger tests, some better tests for the Leafs. I just it's hard for me to to look at this and say, well, the things that they tried to do were to get more veteran presence to be tougher in those situations where they do fall behind or where they do need to play better team defense or where they just do need someone who can lay a hit. Like now they do have Wayne Simmons. They didn't have a guy like that before. They had Kyle Clifford, that was it. Um now I look at them, and they're just better than they used to be. So maybe we don't have those uh, those reps. Maybe we don't have those examples to look at so far. But we at least know that there has been improvement, and we at least know they're going to continue to get tests against the Winnipeg Jets. But if you are coaching this team, if it's you, and Kyle Dubas sits across from you as he's coming close to the deadline, and he says, Bruce, we're thinking about adding some stuff to this team. We're going to go in as buyers. What do you think we need? How do you answer that question? Well, it's tough because, I mean, they've played so well all year, and it's uh, it's tough sometimes to sit there and, and say, okay, uh, but we need more. And But you don't have to look any further to me as, uh, than Tampa did last year. They've been a great team for the last 10 years in the league. And... Um, and they thought they needed a little bit of different kind of sandpaper going in, and so they go and get uh, Barkley Goodrow, and they um, uh, get uh, Coleman from uh, New Jersey, and that sort of uh, adds to their talent. I mean, um, but it just, on their third and fourth lines, it it makes it a little tougher to play against. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love the speed and the way, you know, some of the third and fourth line guys on the Leafs are playing is outstanding. But, I mean, um, I think if you could have these things without losing your great assets, then 
um, uh, then I think your team's going to be much better. Talking to Bruce Boudreau, um, we've made a big deal about watching John Tavares's ice time. As a head coach, how how aware are you in game about what a player's numbers are at and trying to get him to a certain spot and differentiating between actual ice time and number of shifts? Because sometimes the number of shifts have been pretty similar to the top players for Tavares, and not that he's not a top player, but I'm talking Matthews and Marner, but the ice time is quite significantly reduced. How aware is the head coach of, of where the player is and where he wants to get him to? They are very, very aware of this. And uh, I can only speak for myself. I mean, I guess I was very, very aware of this. And if I would come back after the first period and look at, uh, you know, one of my star players only played three minutes and 47 seconds or something, and, and I knew his average ice time was 18 minutes, 19 minutes, I'd, I'd definitely try to get him a couple extra shifts in in the second period to get him uh, not only mentally back in the game, but physically feeling where you know his body feels like when he when he's playing in a normal game. So I'm you know we all get the stats after every period, and so we look at them and and we can decipher uh, at that point um, you know how much we're gonna we're gonna play him and and how much we're not gonna play him. And you know I mean John um, is one of those guys that you'd want to make sure that he plays his regular amount of minutes and and sometimes when he's going better you even play him more um as you do all top players and and i mean i think uh without making a long story short this is this is what uh, i think uh sheldon has done a great job in adding minutes to um uh, matthews's game where he's probably up four or five minutes a game now from when babcock was coaching so i mean um they've realized that and this is where they're going in and I think this is the the realization of your where your best players are. It's the same. It goes the opposite way too. Like I mean, sometimes I would look and and in Minnesota, for example, and say, "Holy crap, uh, Suter just played 11 minutes that period. I got to you know cut him down to eight minutes a period, yeah. so he's not playing over 30 minutes." So I mean, uh, it, it goes both ways. But I mean, I, it, you, coaches are very aware of ice times on every player uh, when they're playing. Do you think they're sheltering that second line to a certain degree? Because that there's a couple things at play. One, Tavares is last year he was a minus nine five on five. This year he's a plus six. And I can't discern whether or not that is because the matchups have been a bit friendlier and they have been more cautious with who they're putting them out on the ice against, or whether that's a significant shift in the way that he's playing right now defensively. A lot of that has been said. Keith has continued to say it's the defense. It's that he's being more responsible and he's not giving up as much. Is that how you're seeing it, or do you think it is more matchup related? Uh, I think it's a combination of both. I think, uh, and I, I can't speak for John. I can't. Uh, I don't know him personally, but I would venture to guess he's a very pride guy, a prideful guy, and he didn't like the way his numbers were defensively last year, and he probably made uh, made an adjustment in his game. And uh, to 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 make these things better, like I mean, you look at all the great players, and if things aren't going well in one direction, these guys work really hard on 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 correcting that. That's what makes them great players. And uh, so I, I would venture to guess that you know he he's made a a concerted effort as has the whole Leaf team. If you watch them all year, play better defensively than they have in the past. That and at the same time. 
they're only playing seven other teams. So, I mean, it's, or six, I don't know, um, uh, other teams. So, you know, you get to see every game. The matchups are a little more, uh, you, coaches know what to expect when they're playing against the, the same teams and the same lines on a daily basis rather than playing like if Toronto had to go out and play Colorado twice a year. Um, the, you know, you don't have that room for the experimentation of, oh, is this guy good against uh, the McKinnon line or the Cadre line? Who should I play him against? Because you're only playing them twice. Leaf fans are very sensitive to officiating. I think everybody in the National Hockey League is sensitive huh. to So that includes you. Right so now. that includes yeah. you. Yeah, oh, yeah, I am so sensitive to this. <laughs> uh, Mitch Marner is probably I'm a little sensitive way today. Too, way too much trouble uh, in this. In the, what might be coming up in the next part of this conversation? Yeah, but yes. it's all right. You're safe now. Nobody can find you. You're in the safe space. We're still going play no music one, for you. No one, yeah, no one will. No one will yeah. share what you have to say. This is just between us. How right. how do you feel about yeah, the yeah. these days? <laughs> but hey, listen, I do want to get back into that space, so I've yeah, got to right. watch out what I say <laughs> about that space. They can't retroactively find you. Yeah. Uh, they got, they're like elephants. They got long memories. Um, <laughs> and matter of fact, when, uh, you know, just uh, a couple of years ago, I lived right beside Paul Dvorsky for, the, for about eight years. And, uh, Every time there was something bad, I'd be taking my computer over and say, Paul, look at this. Is this a penalty? Is this a penalty? <laughs> <laughs> he, would, he would look at my uh, – he could see my name come up on speed dial, and he'd, and he'd go, I'm not answering that. So, I mean, um, uh, I'm sensitive, but uh, I, I, I think I'm a little better right now that I'm not actively involved. I like to picture Paul – opening his blinds, you know, just enough where with his fingers to peep through, doing the look around his yard to make sure that you're not out there before he, like, takes the garbage out or goes, gets the bins, and then you waiting behind a bush or something, just waiting for your moment to pounce when he decides to leave his and go into his yard. Well, let me tell you, do you have time for a quick story? Um, of course. Uh, of course. We're, we're next-door neighbors. We're next-door neighbors, and he was refereeing game seven um, my first year against Philadelphia and he calls a penalty and we lose the game in double overtime in game seven so um, and it was a horrible call by the way so uh, I go home and four days later and I TP his house <laughs> uh, like from top to bottom <laughs> And and he comes up the next day, and he's looking around. He can't find anybody. And then two days later, I go knock on the door to apologize. I feel it's okay. It's time now. But he was the only guy with a pool in the in the neighborhood, so I had to apologize to him. But, uh, yeah, he he knew. He was just glad I didn't egg his house. I only TP'd it. <laughs> All right, so to, <laughs> to recap, yeah, bad call How many roles? In, in Game 7. How many roles of toilet paper? It, you know what? I was laughing so hard doing this thing. I don't remember. We were just throwing everything, and we didn't care if a whole roll So was, more than one. I was actually hoping, yeah, I was actually hoping it was going to rain, and it would stick to the windows. <laughs> and top and oh, I hope you got in that pool after after the yeah. apology. Well, oh, yeah. of course. 
But you know what? Here's, here's the here's the here's the kicker. Is next year we um, our first preseason game was against Carolina, and Paul was refereeing it. And and as I saw him walking by the hall, Paul, come here, come here, come here. And I said, Have you seen that call from last year? And he said, No, I haven't looked at it. And I said, You get in here right now and you look at this thing, okay? And we looked at it on the computer together, and he goes. Oh my God! Did I do that? <laughs> and, and, and I said, "Okay, I got my vindication now." You realize you were wrong on this call. Yeah. Uh, you got revenge uh, and vindication. That's a good of, combination. Yeah, but he's he's uh, he was one of the good ones. Where like, when you talk about referees, he would come out after a period, and uh, and you know if there was a, a call. Uh, questionable call in the period before he says did you look at that call did i make the right call and nine times out of ten you know he did but i mean uh, he's he's one of those guys one of those guys that never thought that he was perfect that he did make mistakes and and i think coaches get mad at the refs that uh, always think they're right and never want to talk talk to you or communicate and paul was one of the best communicators as a referee you, you could ever meet I uh, love that story. And just for future reference, Bruce, we always have time for your incredible stories. So, uh, yes, hopefully we hear more of them next time we talk. Also, no one wants to be neighbors with you now. Yeah. <laughs> Real estate prices have dropped in your area. Like, that's a fact. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Bruce. We live by ourselves. No one is around. <laughs> See you, oh, you're Bruce, very welcome. You're very welcome. Thanks, thanks Coach. Uh, okay. See ya. Bruce Boudreau, uh, former NHL player and, and coach. Yeah, I would hope who I don't even know who the official was yesterday would have uh, seen the Yamamoto cross check to Mitch Marner's back, and then saw him go face first into the board and said, "Ah, you know what? Probably, probably should have called that. Seems like pretty standard cross checking penalty." I'm of two minds when it comes to officiating right now. One is I can empathize that the position is already heavily scrutinized, but right now. It's never been worse, right? It's never been more heightened. You just saw an official fired for doing something that all officials have essentially been brought up learning. And yeah, he should have never said it out loud. And you and I both agree that it was causation for a firing. But it still has to be difficult for those guys right now, knowing that every missed call is going to be hyper-analyzed on every sports show and shown on repeat over and over and over again. That their meetings right now, I'm guessing, are not very fun. My counter is, that's what the money's for. That's the job. You've never, ever been asked to be the stars. And frankly, if the game shifts to where Christopher Stieg wants it to be, which is call the rule book, it's difficult for me to think fans are going to have a real problem with that. So for so long, to me, referees, a lot of them anyways, and the league, have been looking to avoid these controversies because if the calls are even, you're less likely to have a scenario where one of the teams or one of the fan bases starts to go nuts and say, well, this was unfair, and look at the discrepancy. We do it in basketball all the time, right? Basketball, you look at the free throws at the end of the game, and if the discrepancy is widely different for one team, we don't even think about why that is. We just automatically say, well, this was unfair. The Raptors did it with the Utah Jazz earlier this season. And, okay, did the Raptors deserve a few more calls? Of course. But 
it feeds into the conspiracy of your fan base that something is going against you when the calls are not close. To my estimation, there seems to be a little bit of a moment happening with hockey fans where they're reconciling with the idea of what that actually means. That calling the game where you're evening up the calls constantly almost puts it in a situation where why have them at all? Why have penalties? Why why in, have a rule book? Just go out there and have mayhem. The referees are impacting the game one way or the other. Would you not rather have it the way that the rules are drawn up to try and enforce and make the game as enjoyable as possible? To me, yes. So for all of these officials that might be going through it a little bit right now, I kind of say I hear you, but also tough. Figure it out. You as a league need to figure this out and make sure that your product is as good as possible and that your players are being defended by the rules, not just archaic face punchers that we have less and less of as a league anyways. I can put on a striped shirt and go on the ice and call three penalties for each, for each team, team. And, right. and, and choose, hey, there's a thousand penalties, I'll just choose the three that You don't have thick enough skin, I like. Though. No, I have very thin skin. That's what I'm saying. The first time a, a player tears into you, you'd you'd be in therapy for weeks. Oh yeah, I'd be like, "You're all right. You're right. I'm bad at. You're smart. Yeah. I'm stupid." Okay, <laughs> yeah. you get a power play. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. You would just be giving power plays back and forth because right. different teams would be swearing at you, and you'd be swayed constantly throughout the game. I'm not saying I wouldn't either. Yeah, but here's the point. I'm scared, and I would referee scared, mm-hmm. and that's what's happening. These referees are mm-hmm. refereeing scared. It's no way to do business, whatever you do, or whether it's in the arts, whether it's whatever. You don't want to go into something scared of the repercussions of doing the wrong thing. You want to do the right thing. You want to do your job, not being afraid of doing the wrong thing and losing your job. To my estimation, that's what the referees are doing. It's, mm-hmm. It hurts and it stings and it doesn't feel good when you do have a head coach screaming at you or you do have a fan base mad at you and it's easier to quell that by calling nothing or calling it even. But that's not your job. Your job is to call penalties that are clear penalties. And when one of the stars in the league gets dumped from behind in a cross-check in which everybody can see in in an insanely vulnerable spot, which could have resulted in a serious injury, you got to call that. And I don't want more stoppages. I don't want more reasons to kill the flow of the game but when something egregious like that happens sports are headed in a direction where you can at least get one chance where you call for a a replay Uh, you challenge a play and you identify something that was missed and you thought could change the game and that wasn't called because the referee was afraid and you said I don't care if you're afraid this is the reality of the situation and we're going on the power play because this actually happened even if you want to ignore it I just want officials to be held accountable and for the game to weed out the type of official that Bruce just hinted to, where they feel as though they're infallible or that it's an affront to them when their mistakes are put in front of their faces. Everybody makes mistakes. It's fine. Everyone understands that that's just human nature. I like having officials make mistakes. It's part of the fabric of sports where you get to bitch and complain about mistakes it's fun. It's fun to do that. I don't want a scenario where it is removed. And I think overall, the experience with coaches' challenges has been a nightmare. So I'm, I'm not really interested in that. In all sports, I, I have not enjoyed coaches' challenges. Look at the NBA. It's awful. 
it's truly a nightmare. I can't remember a single time where I thought, wow, I'm so glad that Coach's Challenge has been instituted in the NBA, especially with the NHL of doing the subjective nature a lot of times of power plays or penalties or where it is and how you decide what's egregious and what's not. I, I hate that. I really don't want that idea. I, I hope they never go to more replay. We've learned that more replay does not equate to more fairness. It's like very evident now in every single sport that this is not the case, that there still is a high, high level of subjectivity and a high level of two people seeing two very different things. So no to more replay. All I want is accountability. All I want is for them to have different things or different points of emphasis. And we know this is possible because what happens a lot of years is referees come into training camp, they show up for preseason games, and they call the game differently than when you see in the regular season. And everyone goes, boy, I hope these referees start to figure it out or it normalizes or we stop calling this or we stop calling that or we try to figure out how it works. For I'm oversimplifying it. To me, hockey needs to stop over-calling those ticky-tack penalties where it's the slightest of touches with your stick or a grab or a pull, the ones that are inconsequential because those always feel like makeup calls, and start to enforce the ones that are real penalties like the ones you mentioned where you stop saying, well, that's just in the flow of the game or maybe it was a sli-. No, you got to get those calls right and you've got to eliminate the, some of the ticky-tack stuff. And if that's the point of the emphasis for the league, it's going to be fine. And it's going to get a lot better, I think. The mentality has to change. The mentality that five-on-five hockey is the one Mm -hmm. and pure and just God. And that anytime you get away from that, that's not really giving you a true indication of who's better. No, power plays, being shorthanded, killing penalties, being on the power play, scoring on the power play... Those are skills a hockey team should have and ones that they work on and are part of hockey. A huge part. They decide playoff series. They decide Stanley freaking cups. And it's not unnatural for one team to have a bunch of power plays if they're severely outplaying the other team. That's okay. It's okay if the the better team has five power plays and the worst team has one. Like that's mm-hmm. it, That shouldn't be egregious. Five on four hockey is still hockey. Do you think Stewie came up with burning questions? That he was the one with all of his hot takery that said, you know what I need? I need a segment where it's branded Stewie's Hot Takes. And they went, no. Rejected. We'll try a different format. And it became burning questions. I feel like his segment idea would be like, gif off. Gif off, which he would be champion of every single week. But yes, Anthony Stewart is a fine participant in burning questions. He joins us on the line right now. What's going on, Stewie? I'm doing well. And you think I invented something that makes six seventh of all of Canada hate my guts based on what I say at any given moment? So no, hey, I did so not I'm invent on to you. the burning questions. I'm on to you. I'm on to you. I'm on to you, sir. I do you... not like being the villain. I'll tell you that. No. Ah, 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 ah. You, sir, I think you like to go into the office, and I think you like to put the mask on, and I think you like to drop bombs, and then watch the ripple effects of said bombs. And then when the bombs and the ripples and the radiation reach Camp Stewart, your response is always, who, me? I'm the nice guy who everybody likes. I don't, 
I don't want to be hated. Who, 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 me? I'm not the one you should direct your ire towards. I'm just doing my job, and that's to inform and entertain. When secretly you, you love to be hated. You love it. You, you thrive on it. It's your nutrition. Right now. No, no, if you you're. Think I'm doing anything but yeah. eating. If you think yeah. I'm doing anything but eating my burrito in my office and yeah. making sure yeah. no one sees me and then eating, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, eating in there, that's that's all I'm doing in there. That's for sure. How fun is it to eat when nobody's watching? It's the best. I hate eating you, with some. The only way you eat, you don't eat in public. You refuse yeah. to be seen while you eat. I, I, it's true. I do. I don't like to eat in public. It's. I, I like to eat in public at a restaurant if I'm on a date or if I'm with a friend, but I don't like to – if there's a smorgasbord situation, if there's people going around with apps and stuff at a party, I'm, I'm the type who hangs back and doesn't eat in a crowd. I'm the car uh, – I'm the guy that eats in the car while driving, yeah. and then I oh, take yeah. a look to my Shocker. left. Someone's just staring at me like, who is oh, this monster <laughs> devouring a burrito or a quesadilla yeah. driving on the gardener? <laughs> oh, yeah. So that in a standard transmission car in traffic, which is – listen, that's a skill. You want to talk about life skills? You think I, you I can was gonna do something? It sounds like you admitting to danger. And this is, again, a guy who complained about a speeding ticket when he was doing something like 30 over uh, is clearly just continuing to admit that he's a menace on the road. Here we go. You're trying to get me in trouble with the higher-ups, eh? See how he does. No, that's Ben. Ben's the menace morning. on the road. You're the one who oh, loves yeah, to be ben, hated yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, Ben. You, you, <laughs> you love the heat. I got heat. one speeding ticket. I got one speeding ticket in my life, and it was like a cop in Kingston, and he was hiding behind like a utility pole pretending to walk a dog like on his like stomach. <laughs> and I'm like, do. okay, you know what? <laughs> no. You earned this ticket. I'll yeah. pay it. I paid no. it that day. I'm like, it got me. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not what you do. No, you run him through the rigmarole. You go through all the red tape. And eventually, five years down the line, you say, all right, I'll give you your 40 bucks. But, yeah, you make him earn it. You make him earn it. <laughs> There's actually nothing I like more than this side of Ben, who constantly hammers his father about being cheap, but then when gets hit with $40 tickets is like, I'll fight this for five years. I won't pay. Oh, yeah. I won't pay He's for this much. the guy that shows ever. up and brings a, brings a wheelbarrow of uh, pennies and drops it off at uh, yes. the courthouse. Yes. 100%. Yeah. What? I can't remember the be- – oh, that's right. I, I took that one bet from you. The baseball bet, Benny. Do you remember it was the Luke Maley versus Russell Martin bet? And we, Stewie, every time, it was something insignificant. I think it was $50. Max 100. Was it 100 bucks? Yeah. Okay. It was 100 bucks on who finished with a higher OPS. Luke Maley or Russell Martin to finish, I believe, the 2017 or 2018 season. We run this thing out, and Ennis, every time we go for drinks after the show, when you could do such a thing, when we would be in studio and we would see people, would try and finagle the price down of what he had to pay for the drinks. Until one day I actually imbibed a little too much and he tricked me into basically knocking $40 off of the 100 that he owed me. It hurt. Yeah, I'm you, bad you at math and I like to drink. As long yeah. as we're throwing him under the bus, I do remember when yeah. we went out for drinks that one time that uh, he asked for separate checks. And I think the bill was like $33 or something. There's yeah. like four people there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's Ben. Yeah, dude, oh. that's Ben all the way. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't think that's unreasonable at all. I think yeah. I'm a reasonable person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely the cheapest guy at Sports F590. No question about it. Ben Ennis. It's, and it's a massive gap. It's a, 
it's a Lewis Hamilton to the rest of the field type of gap where you just know going in every single year that Ben is going to finish the race ahead of everyone else in, in the cheapskate race. I don't, I don't dispute that. Here's what's going to change when I make my millions in Bitcoin. When I'm yeah. the Bitcoin master, no, uh, maybe I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just, I'll pay for that thirty dollar bill. But yeah, yeah. Th- that's it. <laughs> that's all you're gonna do. Yeah. Okay, the bus so, yes. ran over him like twenty times here. Let's go, boys. Yeah. Well, Stewie's hot take is that the Habs have the best decor in the division, apparently. Yeah. How is that? What is wrong with that? Well, what, what is that depth? What gets you through the defense? What gets you through the playoffs? And that's having depth defense. And we saw what happened last year with Toronto. They lost one quality D. And that was one of the major you know, factors in them losing that series to Columbus. So you need guys. I don't care what you say. You need to have six, seven, eight. You've got to have eight, nine guys ready to step in and do a job right now. And right now, Toronto's losing their depth. They lost VC. They lost Boyd. They're one major injury away from this decor for it to be you know, major, major problems for this group in the playoffs that's a fact yeah but they but they do have six and the guys that have been healthy all season long that are in the six have done the job insanely well it's the it's just the strength of this team it's austin matthews being the best goal scorer in the national hockey league and it's what they've done with the decor this season 43 shots against in these two games against the oilers and granted i guess maybe we should view these oilers games different than every other game because they absolutely allowed zero opportunities in those three games in edmonton game one of this little mini series they the the mcdavid's and dry saddles finally broke through but what they've done for the entirety of the season and i get it like they've been lucky with the lack of injuries because you're right one injury, and when they did lose Muzzin for a couple of games with a facial injury, that's bad. And it's probably the reason why they're going to go out and get a defenseman. But fully healthy, I think they have to be right there, if not the best decor in this division. But you look at Montreal now, too, and they're doing a good job of plugging in guys. Like, where are you guys with the free, uh, you know, Sandine signs or the free Timothy Lilligren guys? You've well, got to find a way to plug these guys in. You have to. And this is the beginning of the season, too. You're looking at Montreal. They're plugging in a Romanov where people are like, oh, where did this guy come from? Victor Mete's now playing now that Sherratt's injured. So they're plugging in guys. They have depth. So I'll sit on this program and I'll say, why not go get a Gabranson or go get a Braden Cobra? Because those guys are guys that could step in, give you your 9, 10, 11 minutes, and play solid hockey. I don't care what anybody says. You need guys that have been around the ring or know how to play the game the right way. That's what you need. And everyone's crying last night. Well, why didn't anyone go against you know Cassian and go grab Cassian? Go grab a guy like that that could come in and, and, and do that type a job when need be so uh depth i don't care what you say i think the number one uh commodity on this wish list for the leafs is depth defense and i don't get the narrative saying well you know they should go get taylor hall well what do you you got to have money coming out what are you going to do freddie can't stay on the ltir for the rest of the season you can't trade a kerfoot so i don't i'm not sure of this wish list it's almost like me talking about free agency give everybody the money the numbers have to add up and it's just not adding up for the needs and wants uh for this maple leaf team i think you can trade kerfoot you just have to be ready to overpay to pay to dump that contract you you He's have to playing be good willing. hockey He's playing good is hockey. Is he? How is he playing yeah. good hockey? He's down on the fourth line <laughs> yeah. and he refuses no, to shoot the puck. Stat, what, I want to hear this, actually. I, I read a stat the other day, okay. and, and again, these are their analytic guys. They said that he yeah. has the same amount of five-on-five points as, uh, as Zach Hyman's going, dating back to last year. Did you know that one? Uh, yeah. Hey, Stewie, guess what? Uh, I don't care. If you are trying to compare <laughs> Zach Hyman and Alex Kerfoot's games right now, then uh, I don't know what – 
was in that burrito that you had, but uh, you might want to take a, a peek because, yeah, that's completely irrelevant. Those guys are on, on different planets as players right now. Kerfoot is fine as a $1.5 million guy if he's down your lineup and he's a depth piece, but he's not. He's paid as $3.5 million, and he got paid that way because they thought he was a centerman. And now they say, well, actually, you're a winger who can skate and do some things well. He's a clear NHL player, but he can't shoot, and he won't shoot. He will not put the puck on the net. It's almost as though he's completely allergic to it. It's like a B thing where if he shoots, he dies. And he's made some type of a pact with someone. He's fine. He's just fine. But the point is, is that normally you wouldn't even care about Alex Kerfoot. It's just that the salary cap dictates that he's the number one most overpaid player on this roster. No one is more overpaid than Alex Kerfoot. That's just a fact. Even the people who are mad about Tavar, is that what? They brought him in because they were at a difference of $1 million or $1.5 million in getting and trading Kadri. And it all boils down to the top four making too much money. You need guys at a lower number, okay. lower cap it to come in and do some damage. So they're now getting now, their stats are getting now uh, relegated and their roles are getting relegated to bottom six roles where it's tough to produce. And that was the problem with Kadri. He wasn't putting up the uh, same he numbers got to play he up wasn't in that top do. six. So, you know, you're doing the math now. Is is Kadri a $1 million better player than Kerfoot? Yes, but they had to get rid of Kadri just because of the cap numbers, and that's a fact. So no, they got uh, Kerfoot, rid of Kadri. I think for his role, for his role, I think he's doing a solid job. And the problem is now you cannot find permanent solutions for the cheap on this Toronto Maple Leafs roster. You can't. Long-term, but they have. Term, yeah, but long-term. Right. But here's the thing. Long-term doesn't matter. And that's why they have prospects on the table dangling them for guys right now. Because you know one of these teams, if you get into the playoffs and you face them in Edmonton, they're going in a body bag. That's already zipped and locked up. Leafs would, have, Unless the Leafs are going to play Michael Hutchinson for seven games against the Oilers, it's Which over we already. we discount because both yeah. goalies are hurt again. Sure. Which... <laughs> that, that team is in a body bag. They are DOA. They got the toe tag on. They're ice cold. It's finished. Leafs but are I'm a way better about... team. But long-term now, you're talking about no. the long-term problems. That's why the long-term problems have cost you a captain and a Janssen, an Uncle Leo, a Martin, and potentially a Zach Leo. Hyman, right? You guys are saying, oh, now, but if Zach Hyman leaves because the Maple Police lowball him, you know, saying, hey, we only got 4.2 for you for four years, he's gone. And then the next, the next news cycle is going to be, oh, how do we let Hyman go? So I said it all boils down to that one fact that the four guys are being paid too much, and you're trying to make these Band-Aid solutions, plugging in guys here and there. Yep. And that's good for the short term, but you need to have guys come up now. You need to start plugging in some prospects and guys that are outperforming their cap. That's the problem. A lot of guys have not been outperforming their cap uh, throughout the years. This year it's working, but that's not a long-term solution. So, to me, you're not worried about the long-term because your best chance to win a cup is this season. So, you don't really care. You are just trying to put some band-aids on things. It's why you went out and got Joe Thornton for a million bucks. It's why they dress this offseason the way they did of course would they rather have some depth pieces and of course would they rather have those guys on cheaper deals yes 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 but right now Kerfoot is a problem because he's paid two million dollars more than he should and if the Leafs want to bring somebody in of consequence then they have to overpay to dump his contract so that they significantly don't alter the team and make it easier to pay Hyman fall the following season so but who what who jumps into his spot who jumps into his spot you get rid of Kerfoot what do you mean now, his fourth line him? spot on the yeah. wing uh anyone and <laughs> uh, anybody they had Boyd doing that yeah. job before them and they just released him they here's who jumps into his spot 
Alex or Alex Galchenyuk, a different yeah. Alex, because he goes down the roster and you bump somebody else into that spot. It's just it's a matter of what you're willing to give up prospect capital wise and what the cost of acquisition is. The fear, the fear, fear, fear is that his three and a half million in this cap reality with the way that he plays is similar to the way that Patrick Marlowe's one year left on his deal was looked at, where teams say, we're only taking on that deal for a first-round pick. It's basically been the big question for us over the last two weeks when it comes to the Leafs' deadline is, will it be a, we overpay you to eat money because we want to keep Kerfoot, or we overpay you to get rid of the Kerfoot contract and give us added flexibility moving forward too? And and I, I, I think it just really does come down to what the difference is in, in the price. Well, I think Kerfoot uh, isn't going anywhere, and I think that's the problem now. The $3 million player on this Leaf roster is just not working out short-term, long-term, so they have to find a better job. And, hey, you know what? If you're going to find a $3 million guy, make sure he's, he's playing like a $4.5, $5 million half. man. But that's, it's tough. It's tough to find that right guy. But for me, I think Kerfoot's another guy that you'll miss those things he does when he's gone, oh, if he's gone. I but I don't think he's going anywhere. I won't miss him at all. Uh, yeah. This is the candy cane stick. Hopefully, yeah, like, listen. Yeah, okay, yeah. You, <laughs> maybe you look you're, at weird things, bro. That's why. <laughs> you're, maybe you're the ultimate Leaf uh, fan right now. Maybe you're pumping up his value. Maybe, yeah, you're He's trying a to solid show the piece. other and That's the thing. The game within the game. The solid piece. piece. I know you didn't block the shot yesterday, but again, he's doing some solid things out there, making little plays. I, I like his game. So, I, And that's the problem with this market. The microscope shifts. And I know it's now zeroing in on Pierre Engvall. It's going to be Mikheyev coming up. I no, but Engvall's fine because he's it. making a million bucks. <laughs> right. right. Who's better, Engvall or Kerfoot? One guy is being given the third-line center job, and it's looked better when he's done it, and that's Engvall, and he makes 1.2. That's it. Uh, if Kerfoot's making 1.2, guess how many Alex Kerfoot discussions we're having? Uh, zero. We're saying all was, the same things you are. Hey, cool candy cane was, stick. Well, Jimmy Vesey's making less, and Travis Boyd's making less, and D'Agostino's making less. Uh, yeah. That's Engvall's a problem. So that's the problem. There's micro, the, the microscope shifting on guys. Uh, but it boils down to 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 solidify this roster long term. You've got to have better spread of the finances. That's a fact. Okay, so we got to talk to you about the Sabers because yesterday <laughs> they're up three nothing, and I actually bet on Philly. I had a I had a bet, and I was texting with my brother, going, "Man, as if I." The, the sweet road of betting against the Sabres has come to an end. And we had a little discussion about live betting the Flyers when they were down 2 nothing, And then it's 3 nothing. We go, oh, okay, never mind. Let's just, hey, way to go, Sabres. This is your Stanley Cup ending the streak. And then they lose. They lose in overtime. Poor Sabres. It's an NHL record. Do you think this is going to be a permanent thing for these guys in the sense of it just impacts them in a way that is impossible to recover from, that it's this level of bad? Like... Rasmus Dahlin, your stud young guy, he's never able to forget this. This is now part of the DNA of the players that are on this roster. It's very, very tough in Buffalo, and I always go back to my brother when he got traded there. He's like, oh, we're going to be in the playoffs, and the team's going to be great. But it was they were geared up for the tank, and then two weeks later, he's like, man, this is a disaster. Like two weeks into the season. <laughs> he's like, this is a disaster, man. I don't know what's going on around yeah. here. And I think it just starts from the top, and, and, and just with ownership and, and getting in the right pieces there. They have the thinnest uh, hockey operations staff in the whole entire National Hockey League. So if you have owners that are, are sort of cheaping out on that end, it's going to affect your 
roster, right? So I think the composition of this roster, they have some good players, but that losing is contagious. And I've been on a five, six game slide before as a, as a player, and I'm getting ready to pack my bags. I'm getting traded. I'm getting sent down to the minors. If I was minus two in a game or I was minus five on the season, my career is over. So there's that personal pride I think the players really got to have. They got to start playing for something. You know, if I'm Jeff Skinner, I got to play to prove that I'm still a top six forward in the National Hockey League. If I'm, uh, you know, Middlestad, I'm proving that I'm still an NHL or, or you got to start playing for pride to get off of this island, as they say. I yeah. want to get out of here, so I got to prove that I'm a good enough player to get out of here. So I think it's just the recipe and the, the, the wrong mix of players and just losing. It's just, it's contagious. That's the one thing I could tell. It's contagious. And it's everyone's looking around the room saying, well, what are we going to do here? How bad can it get? And it's just snowballing, snowballing, snowballing. So the seasons are right off. I think they got to figure out a way now to get a coach in there that's going to come in and change the culture. The culture uh, in Buffalo, something's, something's awry right there, and they got to figure out a way to fix it because I, I, I mentioned this last night that um, – this city is a blue-collar city. It's a hard-working city. The fans deserve a winner. They have one of the best arenas in the National Hockey League. They have one of the best fan bases, best jerseys, I think, in the league. Mm-hmm. They deserve a better product on the ice. Yeah, the jerseys are good. I even like the name, but you got to change the name now, I think. I think that the Tampa Bay Devil Rays set the template for this where they were the laughing stock of baseball for a long time. They changed the name, and everything changed. It starts with the name. I like the Sabres. I like the jerseys, but they got to go. I'm sorry. The stain Buffalo, la, 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 Fontaines. Let's yeah, go. Sure. <laughs> I'm down with that. <laughs> See you, Stewie. See you, bud. Thanks a lot, guys. Go Leafs, go. Yeah, always. Anthony, Anthony to make matters worse, my son, Dylan Cousins, was hurt, hurt last night. I know. Not good. And it was an innocuous play. And I knew it was bad when the merchant of death, <laughs> Jeff Merrick, texted me. I was going to ask. He just sent text. me a, uh-oh, and I I didn't appreciate it. I'll be honest. I was in a sour mood. Thank God for picking 10 straight NCAA winners and getting rich and making that one guy rich, that listener who's made 10 grand off my picks. If not for that, it would have been a bad night knowing that Cousins got hurt and watching that Raptors game and watching the Leafs lose in overtime to a team I think that they should beat regardless of who is in net. So we sort of got a little off track there with Stewie. Kind of just ended up going all over the place. Uh, He dragged us there. But don't you think that is one of the main deadline questions? Because they clearly want to add a top six forward. They clearly want to add a rental piece. They clearly want to add someone who I believe allows them to leave the Tavares group on the ice with a little bit more confidence. They likely want to add some skill and some goal-scoring ability, but ultimately, you're looking for leaders who have a little sandpaper to their game. It's why the Felinos keep popping up. But a big part of this deadline is still, do you believe Alex Kerfoot is a necessary piece or that he is a wins-above-replacement type of player that you would want to keep for an all-in season and pay draft pick capital in order for a team to eat salary Or do you view him as something where you want to pay to get him off the books for next year, even at the expense of what he is doing for you right now? Because Stewie's right. Listen, if they move Alex Kerfoot off the roster and they bring in Nick Foligno, the team is better, but it's not as good as if they keep both players. So it's a 
it's it's a bit of a hedged bet, right? Where you're you're freeing things up for the following season. You're making things a little easier for the following season. You're getting some money off the books, but you're also not you're you're also weakening your team, especially considering that they have dumped some of these guys. You got to feel even if you like Alex Galchenyuk down the lineup like you and I seemingly do, it's not the type of guy you want in your bottom four. He's probably a top six or bust type of player in the first place. Not sure you want the Spezza Galchenyuk line Although in, in had the playoffs more than you want a Kerfoot Galchenyuk or sorry Ger- Kerfoot Spezza line. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. And that when Kerfoot was acquired, it was all about his ability to keep pucks out of his own net, not necessarily mm-hmm. put pucks into the opposition net. I'm still of the belief that. Someone views him maybe not as a three and a half million dollar player, but not as a net negative on their team. I view him on this team. He's not as, a net negative. Hey, yeah, he really doesn't provide much he's uh, a, to my eyes. He's a fine player as a depth defensive winger. Mm-hmm. He can skate. He can play sort of up and down your lineup. He's proven that he's capable of playing with Tavares. He is. Don't diminish that. He has played reasonably well with Tavares over stretches. That has been a reality. He does not appear to be an impactful centerman. He can kill penalties. He can do some things for you. He is not a net negative player. He's just an underwhelming player who doesn't pop on the ice because, again, he does not shoot. He refuses to shoot. And when he gets those opportunities, he's, he's, I, I, it looks like he's just overthinking it all the time when the puck is on his stick. And that the game might be a little too fast for him when he is possessing the puck in the offensive zone, which hurts the eye test a lot. He's probably someone who is friendlier based on analytics than what you see with the eye test because there is not a lot of flash to the game. That's what I'm saying. He's a net positive player. It's just that he doesn't fit this team. It's an awkward situation where the contract doesn't fit, but the player does. And so that's it. It's just, are you going to eat his? Con- are you going to try to get the contract off the books so that you make things easier with Hyman next year, and you make things easier with being able to potentially re-sign someone or bring in someone who has another year of term on their deal, or are you just going to eat money, or sorry, make the other team eat money by giving them extra draft pick capital and rolling the dice that Kerfoot is fine in that position and having that depth piece is good for you? That's going to be a big question for Dubas. So the. The Marlowe comparison, I don't know if it's necessarily apt because he had six-plus million left on his deal in the whole year, and I get it. There's two more years at three-and-a-half for Kerfoot. That's what I was going to say. Makes, is, he's, still, and, he's still making impacts, and he's the, 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 the trend line down is yeah. probably not as swift, him being 26 years old. Secondarily, I think our evaluation of what this team needs in its depth forwards should be different now than it was at the beginning of the season. We talked about the punt line. Hey, get a line that can punt. I don't know if you need that necessarily. Look at the way this these defensemen have played. Look at the way they have played in their own zone, limiting opportunities. But it's not I just look defensemen. At the, it's team defense. That's I the whole get point. It. I, it's not yeah, just a defenseman. I, That's a, such an oversimplification. I think this team needs more scoring punch down the lineup than it does more guys in the mold of Alex Kerfoot. And I thought mm. that's basically was your positive point. I, I think they need somebody that can put the puck in the back of the net that affects offense more than defense. I think this team is more than adequate defensively. So I, I don't think that you're going to... third in the NHL in goals scored. Yeah, I get that. And I've, I've talked to you about this off-air, how the number, there's no number that will back up what I'm seeing. 
what I'm seeing is a team that is pretty solid defensively and can shut teams down and can swallow up your elite end talent like they've done numerous, numerous times with the Edmonton Oilers. But on occasion, if Austin Matthews isn't scoring, I don't know where the goals are coming from. The, the, the biggest problem outside of goaltending for this team is depth scoring right now. Alex Kerfoot, yeah. don't, don't do it for me.